You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. Well, how are we doing today? Man, good. Well, man, it's so good to see you today. And I want to welcome those of you that are worshiping next door in the video cafe, as well as those of you that are worshiping online. I want to give a little shout out to those of you up in the balcony. How are we doing balcony today? There they're a little spicy up there today, and I want to thank our ushers who have been helping us to seat most efficiently and helping people up to the balcony. Would you guys join me in giving our ushers some love today for the way that they're uh, helping us get seated there? That's good. Um, also, I was really stoked to see that video and see that 23 of you guys were baptized last Sunday. Uh, one of those was Fiona. And as you see on screen, Fiona is there and her parents, uh, Mike and Jackie, are there. And they were just so proud of her. And it's beautiful to watch them as a family. Uh, they were serving under, during the bridge ministry Friday night, folks that are under resource and living on the streets. And it was just awesome to see their family serving in that way together. Uh, and they're so proud of Fiona and all that. And in case you're new here or coming for the first time, we've been in this series of teachings on reading the red letters of Jesus. Um, and we've said this one transforming idea almost every week where we've said that change happens daily not in a day. As you go back through the red letters of Jesus, you would see that he talks about it as a daily walk with him. It's not just, you know, an immediate boom change, but we change daily, not in a day. And we've encouraged you to read through our 84-day reading plan through the red letters of Jesus. Read it for yourself, you know, because there are a lot of people out there that think they know what's in there, but they don't know, really know what's in there because they hadn't opened the box, you know, and looked in there. They're kind of like that kindergarten teacher who had a room full of little kids, you know, who were bringing her presents on like the last day of the semester when it's about to be Christmas. And so the first box that was handed to her by this little kid, um, little guy, his dad owned a, a flower shop. Dad was a florist. And so when the teacher got that box, she shook the box. You know, she's playing this game where she would guess what's inside the box. And she shook it a little bit. And she said, I bet there are flowers in there. And the little boy got this huge grin on his face. He's like, oh, yeah, it's flowers, you know. And so she opened up, sure enough, it's flowers. And then the next box came from this little girl. And her parents owned a candy store. So the teacher started shaking that box, and she said, I bet there's candy in there. And the little girl smiles real big, you know, puts a big cheeser on, you know, and she's like, yeah, it's candy, you know, and she opens it up, and of course, there's candy. Well, the third boy brings up his box, and his dad happens to own the liquor store in town. <laughs> so the teacher starts shaking the box a little bit, and all of a sudden, a little bit of liquid is kind of dripping out of the corner of the box, and so she touches it with her finger and tastes it with her tongue, and she says, I bet there's wine in there, and the little boy's like, nope, it's not wine, and so she shakes a little bit more, and she holds the box up, and she lets some of the liquid drip into her mouth, and she says, I bet it's champagne in there, and the little boy says, nope, it's not champagne in there, and she says, okay, I give up, what's in the box, and the little boy goes, a puppy. See, 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 see. That's great, isn't it? Let it be a lesson to you. Open the box. See what's in there. And so we've been wanting you to kind of read the red letters for yourself. Um, and sometimes when you read through, I just can't get that image out of my mind, you know? But sometimes when you read through, I've had some people come to me and say, you know, Doug, I don't really understand what I'm reading. And uh, that can be uh, an issue, can't it? 
You know, you're trying to read and you don't understand what you're reading. And there have been a couple of things that's really transformed my idea as I've tr- uh, uh, tried to read through the red. So a couple of different things that have helped me come to understanding of it. And the first one was when I submitted to the Holy Spirit and I was willing to obey what I read. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians when he says, uh, chapter 2, verse 14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. And here's the thing about the red letters is that your heart is as important as your head when you're trying to read these things. And some of you have read through there, saw how there are very brilliant people in the New Testament who didn't get the parables and things that Jesus would tell us because of their heart condition, not because they couldn't uh, intellectually comprehend it. And you know, a lot of people, it's a matter of just getting a good Bible translation to read. I like the New Living Translation. I also like the New International Version of the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you can go by our cafe today and get one for free. But some people say, hey, I've got a good translation. I still don't understand anything that I'm reading here in the Bible. And uh, I would say that's not a good sign, you know. But don't worry about it. We can help you with that. We can help you with that. Because oftentimes it's about getting our hearts in the right place with the Lord, and then he illuminates our minds to understand it. But the second thing that has really helped me to understand what's in the red is seeing the red letters through the lens of its Jewish background. Uh, That's where we're going to spend our time together today. When I started seeing the Gospels through the lens of its Jewish background, it was like going from a black and white TV to a high-definition TV. It greatly enhanced my understanding. And there's this scholar I like named David Stern. He's the translator of the Complete Jewish Bible that I'll put on screen. That's a great resource for you to read through. Also, the uh, Jewish New Testament commentary. Um, And in that, David Stern says, the central figure of the New Testament was a Jew who was born in a Jewish family in Bethlehem, grew up among Jews in Nazareth, uh, ministered to Jews in Galilee, and died and rose from the grave in the Jewish capital, Jerusalem. His 12 closest followers were Jews. The New Testament was written entirely by Jews. And so that makes a difference, doesn't it? If you can get inside the Jewish mind, you can understand much of the New Testament of the Scriptures. Let me show you another resource by Ray Vanderlaan who said, Jesus was not a Christian Christianity didn't come into being until after his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, and I learned a lot from these audio series. Uh, One is called Walk as Jesus Walked. Another one is called The Land, the Culture, and the Book. You can't just readily order these like on Amazon Prime or anything like that. They're kind of punk rock underground, and so you have to really do a good Google search to find these audio resources to learn about the Jewish background of the New Testament from these resources. Um, But these thoughts have shaped much of what I'm going to teach you today. Jesus was uh, a first century Galilean rabbi. And the Galilee had a great number of really brilliant uh, rabbis. They had Shammai, Hillel, uh, were just a couple of the really popular rabbis with authority in that area. In fact, Jesus mostly agrees with Hillel. One time he agrees with Shammai in his interpretation of Old Testament Torah. But there were a couple of different types of rabbis in that day. One was called the teacher of the law, or they would call him a Torah teacher. Uh, When we talk about Torah, we're talking about the first five books of the Old Testament of the Bible. These Torah teachers were brilliant. They had a majority, all of the Old Testament 
committed to memory so they could just quote the whole thing. They also knew all the different interpretations of the different controversial passages in the Old Testament. But Torah teachers had to only teach the accepted doctrines and teachings within the community. They couldn't go outside of that. But then the second type of rabbi was called a rabbi with shmiha. That's kind of a fun word, isn't it? Would you say it out loud with me? Here we go, ready? Shmiha. Okay, that wasn't very good. Let's try it again, okay? Uh, Shmiha, okay? And if you spit just a little bit on the person in front of you, then you probably said it a little bit better. But uh, shmihad rabbis also had the entire Old Testament committed to memory, knew all the interpretations, but they were a more elite group with a higher level of authority. They could introduce new teachings into the community, new interpretations of the Old Testament of the Scriptures. So if you look at Mark one twenty two, it helps give you a sense of Jesus. Look at that passage. It says, the people were amazed at Jesus' teaching because he taught them as one who had what? Authority, not as the teachers of the law. So Jesus wasn't just a Torah teacher, but he was a Shmihad level rabbi who could give new interpretations of the scriptures. He was a boss at this. He had Shmihad, just like Hillel, Shammai, Akiva, John the Baptist, and some others. But one of the most prominent teaching techniques that the Shmihad rabbis would use was their rabbinic questioning. So they always taught by asking questions. As you've read through the red letters of Jesus, perhaps some of you have seen all the different questions that he would ask. In fact, there are over 300 questions that Jesus asks in the Gospels. And when people would come to him, they'd say things like, hey, you know, are we supposed to pay taxes? Well, Jesus doesn't just give an answer, does he? He says, well, whose inscription is on the coin? And they're like, oh, okay. And so, yeah, yeah, Caesar's image is on the coin. And Jesus says, okay, yeah, you, you give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. And then another guy comes up to Jesus one day and he's like, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And what's Jesus going to do as a rabbi? He's going to ask a question back. He's like, what does the Torah say about it? They question you because they wanted your answers to be your answers and not their answers as you thought through it in the form of a question like on Jeopardy. And even as a 12-year-old, Jesus could do the, the rabbinic questioning thing. Some of you know the story of how when Jesus was uh, young, his parents uh, lost him. And like, where's Jesus? He was gone for like three days. And he wasn't like pulling a Ferris Bueller or anything, but he was in the temple. And we'll pick up that story in Luke chapter 2. Look at verse 46. He says, after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them what? Questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. What were his answers? They were in his questions, see, So our rabbi Jesus was so good that people were amazed at his understanding, even as a 12-year-old kid. In fact, most of the rabbis who would achieve shmiha-level authority didn't get it until they were like 60 years old or older. But yet Jesus, we know, had it at 30 years old. He was a boss of a rabbi. And spiritual investigators, the reason I bring this up for you is I want you to understand that Jesus was so much more than just a dreamy hippie in a bathrobe, wandering around the Holy Land, eating free-range, you know, gluten-free chickens that are doused in essential oils while he's smoking a medical marijuana joint, okay? 
He was a boss of a rabbi who knew his stuff, and you can trust him because he had this level of authority. Now, uh, I like to sum this up as I think about all this Jewishness of Jesus because it helps me to see how really brilliant Jesus was. And this one sentence helps me think about the Jewishness of Jesus and how it applies to my life. And it's this, when Jesus is magnified, your soul is rested and energized. When you look into the Jewishness of Jesus and see how great he is, when Jesus is magnified, your soul is rested and energized. I think we should say that out loud together and make it our declaration together, shall we? Ready, here we go. When Jesus is magnified, your soul is rested and energized. And I hope today that we could focus in on just Jesus and how great he is. And that does something to our souls. Now, the religious leaders of the day, particularly the Sadducees uh, and others, would ask Jesus these questions. And they'd ask him, like, where'd you get your authority to say these things? Where'd you get your shmiha to give all these new interpretations of the Torah law that you're giving to people around the community. Well, Jesus is a good rabbi, and so he's not going to just answer the question, is he? He's going to follow it up with a question of his own. And so they ask him, Jesus, where'd you get your authority? And he asked them the question, well, where did John the Baptist get his authority? And he got them there because they could not say John the Baptist didn't have authority because the people loved John the Baptist and thought he had Shemitah level authority, and the people would come against the Sadducees if they said that. And then they could not say, well, John the Baptist did have God's authority and shmiha on him because Jesus would say, well, why didn't you do what he said? See? So Jesus trapped him with a question. And so I think that begs the question, how did someone get shmiha level authority in that day? How'd you get that authority? Well, you had to be endorsed by two other rabbis who were recognized as having shmiha level authority. So remember Jesus' question to them, where did John get his authority? Well, that's part of his answer. Who baptized Jesus in the Jordan River? John the Baptist. So John the Baptist at his baptism was endorsing Jesus as a Shmiha level authority. And what else happened at Jesus' baptism? A voice from heaven said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. So Jesus didn't just get another person who endorsed him as having authority. He got a voice from heaven, God the Father, saying, this is my son who I endorse. That is a semi-truck and trailer full of Shmiha-level authority there. This is our Jesus. And one of the brilliant teaching techniques that the rabbis would use was called remez. They knew the scriptures so well. And their audience would have had so much of the scripture memorized that these uh, rabbis could quote the scripture and then what they left out, what they didn't say, was a part of their answer that they wanted to communicate to these rabbis. And so I'm going to illustrate it like this. Um, and by the way, those of you that are new to Texas, this is th I'm about to blow your mind, okay? So I'm going to sing a part of a song. And I want those of you who are Texans to finish the song for me, or the, the chorus of this song. You guys ready? You Texans ready? Okay, here we go. The stars at night are big and bright. <laughs> some of you, some of you who moved here, you're like, what just happened here, okay? 
Well, that was what we call Texas Remez, right? So I said the first part, and since you knew the song because you're good Texans, you were able to finish it. And that's the way these rabbis would work. And so let me show you how this played out with John the Baptist. Now, some of you remember the story of when John the Baptist was in prison, and he sent his disciples to ask Jesus if he was the Messiah in Matthew chapter 11. Look at verse, uh, verses 2 through 6. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied. Now, when Jesus replies here, let me say in parenthesis, he's actually quoting from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. So Jesus is quoting Isaiah when he says, go back and report to John what you have heard and see. Here's Isaiah's words. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. But look at this last sentence. This is kind of weird. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Well, why would someone fall away on account of Jesus healing the sick and caring for the poor? Because it's not in what he said. It's in the part that he left out. Basically, what Jesus is saying here to John the Baptist in Remez, he's saying, yes, John. I am the Messiah. I am the one who is to come. But Jesus left out the phrase from Isaiah that says, and the prisoners are set free. So what he's saying through Ramez is, John, my friend, the good news is I'm the Messiah. The bad news is you're not going to get out of prison. And blessed are those, blessed are you, John, if you don't fall away from me on account of that fact. Does that make sense? So this is Remez. And if you wanted to join up with one of these rabbis, you took on what's called his yoke. Now, we're not talking about egg yolks here, but we're talking about the yoke of a beast of burden. So these oxen would pull these big loads in carts. And this is the metaphor. A yoke is the rabbi's interpretation of the Torah. Will you live out a particular rabbi's interpretation of the Old Testament law. If you're doing that, it's called taking on that teacher's yoke. And the rabbis would use this phrase, I did not come to destroy Torah, but to fulfill it. And what they mean by that is that I'm not going to destroy Torah by not interpreting it correctly, but I'm going to interpret it correctly and show you how to live it out. That's my yoke, and that's me helping you to fulfill Torah. So how do you know what a rabbi's yoke is? Well, you could ask a couple of different questions. You could ask the rabbi, teach me to pray. And we see Jesus answering that question in the red letter section. And you could also ask the question, what's the greatest commandment? And that will tell you what this rabbi believes is uh, the right interpretation of Torah. And look what Jesus said. Here's his yoke. The greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. It's a simple yoke. It's easy to understand. You just love God with all your heart, and then you love other people like you love yourself. And, you know, most of the rabbis in that day were so scholarly and knowledgeable, and most people could not get the privilege of studying with them. And they put such a burden, some of them, on people that the people felt weighed down by all these religious rules that they couldn't remember, let alone live out. 
And then all of a sudden, one day, the most brilliant of all the rabbis, Jesus, makes this statement. And it's in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. And it's where Jesus says, you come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my, what? Yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my, what? Yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you know, that verse was very helpful for me. This past week, I was in my prayer time, and I was just feeling the burden of different things going on in my life. And this came to mind. It was like the Spirit was just speaking it to me. Doug, you know, just come to me when you're weary, burdened, heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Don't take your own yoke. Maybe you're like me and you put a yoke on yourself that's heavier than what God intends you to bear. Take my yoke upon you, Jesus says, and learn from me for I'm gentle and humble in heart and you'll find rest for your souls. And you know, when I came before the Lord, it's just like I wanted someone, I wanted to talk to someone that understood because we all have these unique circumstances in our lives that create the burdens in our life, right? Do you ever just want to talk to someone who really understands the uniqueness of your situation. It's kind of like the kid that goes to the pet store and he sees the litter of puppies there that are ready to be sold and he asks the store owner, how much are those puppies? And the store owner said, well, they're $50 and up. And the kid pulls a little bit of change and a little bit of money out of his pocket and all he has is a dollar and 47 cents. And the store owner says, well, son, you're gonna have to save up for a while before you can afford a puppy. But come back when you've saved up your money. And just about that time, as the boy was a little bit discouraged, the store owner's wife came from the back of the store, and she was holding this little puppy that was smaller than the others. And when she set it down, it could barely stand up, and it limped. And the boy said, well, what about that puppy? And the store owner said, well, the veterinarian checked this little puppy over, and it doesn't have a hip socket. And so it's always going to struggle to walk like this. And this boy said, I want that one. I want that puppy. And I will give you my dollar and 47 cents. And I will, you know, come and bring you like 50 cents a week if I have to until this puppy is paid for. And the store owner says, no, son, you don't, I don't think you understand what you're asking. You don't want that puppy. We just give it away for free. We can't take your money for it. For that, And the boy got mad and he said, no, that puppy's worth every bit as much as all the other little dogs you have. And the store owner was confused. He's like, well, son, that puppy will never be able to run around and play with you like the other puppies do. And the boy said, that's okay. I want that one. And then that little boy rolled up his left pant leg and he showed that store owner a twisted and crippled leg that was being held up with a metal brace. And he said, I think that puppy is going to need someone who understands because I'm not doing much running around myself and I want to pay for that puppy. And he gave him the money that he had and he paid it off and that boy carried that puppy home. And do you ever feel like that little dog? It's like, man, I just want someone that understands what's going on in my heart. Well, Jesus Not only does he understand, but he pays for your soul and he carries you and your burden home. In fact, even today, 
Jesus has the scars in his hands and his feet, even in his resurrected state. The wounds in his hands and feet are still there because he understands the wounds that you and I feel in our hearts. And that's why I wanted to move our prayer moment to the end of the service today because not only do I want to come and bring some of my burdens and the pains that I have in my heart to the Lord, but I want to have the opportunity to pray over some of you. And this is not for everyone to do, but I'm asking some of you who are compelled to do so and have a particular burden that you want to lay before the Lord to just literally get up out of your seat and walk down here to the front rugs and kneel and pray. If you're in the video cafe, you can stand up and walk down to the front in there and kneel and pray. And this, like I said, it's not for everyone because some of you are going to have to get up and walk over people in your aisle and get down here. Others may have to walk down from the balcony and come all the way down here and kneel and pray. But I would like the opportunity along with some of our prayer leaders perhaps to just pray put a hand on your shoulder and pray that God would help you with the burden that you're dealing with in your heart. And so let's stand together and sing and worship. And if you're compelled to do so, come, Neil, and put a hand out and lift up those burdens to the Lord. And Lord, as we come, we've come kneeling, praying, asking of you, We're not coming to any pastor or musician, but we're coming straight to you. We want you, you are the true treasure. We want your words, a connection with you and no one else. So thank you for what you're doing in our hearts today. And I can't help but think Jesus that you're in that process of drawing people to yourself that did not have a relationship with you before. And as we continue in prayer, if that describes you, that you would like a relationship with God that you've never had, maybe just say something in your heart and mind right now and just talk to Jesus and just say, hey, look, Jesus, I know I've sinned, but right now, the best I can comprehend it, I'm choosing to believe that when you died on the cross, You died there to pay the penalty for my sin. And Jesus, I've tried to carry a yoke of being a good religious person in order to earn a love relationship with you. But I'm releasing that yoke and taking yours on, knowing that you paid for my sin on the cross. And I want to carry your yoke and where the burden is easy and the load is light. So welcome into my life, Jesus. And God, we thank you for the many burdens that have been laid down before you. And we know we can trust you with it because you do understand. And so I pray that we would continually change daily as we hand those burdens over to you. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts, the healing work you're doing. With every tear comes a new level of healing. And we thank you and praise you for all this, Jesus. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.